Hello, and welcome to The Office Hour. I am Eric Lewis, and I am joined today by Molly Slavin. How are you doing, Molly? I'm doing really well. How are you, Eric? Doing well. Excited to learn more about Discord from my overactive student who has ideas for it that I don't understand. <laughs> we are also joined by Corey Gergen. How are you, Corey? <laughs> uh, I'm great. I'm, I'm already planning that episode on using Discord. So uh, in the back of my oh, mind, so yeah. That'll be great. Okay, maybe we can bring my student in. Oh, <laughs> my unofficial TA. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Unpaid and unofficial. <laughs> yes, yes. On this show, teachers get together and discuss teaching. Specifically, we are postdocs in the School of Literature, Media, and Communication at the Georgia Institute of Technology, and we'll discuss practice and theory drawn from our teaching a variety of classes from first-year communication to junior design for computer science students. In this episode, we are discussing public humanities work in the classroom, that is, involving students in scholarship that is not for your eyes only, but reaches beyond the classroom and the academy to address the public. Why take such an approach to students' learning? What are effective strategies for developing such projects? What experiences have professors had overseeing them? In order to discuss this topic, we are today joined by two very special guests, Wendy Turin and Jill Fennell. So, Wendy, how are you? I'm all right. And uh, now we've gotten over the technical difficulties, even though we're at Georgia Tech. So. <gasps> Wendy, you aren't supposed to let anyone know. <laughs> I know. I'm all about keeping it real. <laughs> good, good. Excellent for a podcast. Uh, and Jill, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me. We are glad to have you. So to get started, I want to just have you each give a little bit of background about the assignments that you have come here to discuss. So, Wendy, you're talking about hidden figures of modernism, an assignment you had students complete in a previous semester. Could you give us some detail on what that assignment is? Sure. The hidden figures assignment was a group assignment where students were tasked to conduct their own research. So it was all original research from the get-go. They had to come up with a question and an idea from themselves into some hidden figures, like taken from the film, the idea that these, there's certain, you know, modernism is all about white men of 1914, and I wanted to go beyond that to look at other people, other nationalities, other global transnational modernisms. So they had to find somebody and reveal them. Thank you very much. And Jill, what about your assignment? Tell us a little bit about the Fantasy Forum. Yeah. So this is a podcast that I did collaboratively with my students. It was sort of like the pinnacle of the class. Everything that we did were, was leading up to that. I really like to talk to my students about stasis theory and kind of work them through the different levels of stasis, you know, from conjecture, definition. And so the last two levels where you would talk about quality and policy, that's when they really got to sort of step in and really have their voice and you know, record that voice and put it out there as a podcast. I have to admit that you have had to explain stasis theory to me <laughs> multiple times because I always forget what it is. <laughs> so it seems like both of these projects that you had students complete were very self-directed. Like Wendy, it was an original research question. Jill, it was them pursuing their own voice in this 
pinnacle of the class and this culminating assignment. How did you both approach that? How did you both prepare students for that sort of task? Well, I'll jump in because like Jill, my project was the final piece. So I sort of, we built up to it across the entire semester from the smaller artefacts, like they had to write a multimodal visual essay considering and analysing images of modernist art and put it into conversation with poetry. And then they did a research poster and presentation where they looked at, uh, they got some research practice, like coming up with a question and analysing sources and synthesising sources. And all throughout, we were talking about the multi-multi-modalities and so that they were used to the idea of affordances and constraints and what worked for them and what didn't we listened to podcasts we watched videos we so we had a lot of experience when it came to the final piece they'd had different experiences broken down and they brought all of those skills together and it was a group project so hopefully they filled in gaps with for one another that they perhaps had in their own experiences so that's partly, I think, why it was so self-directed and they were excited about like being let off the reins a little bit. Yeah, I I also tried to cultivate that excitement a little bit. I mean, I taught this this past summer and during a summer course, which, you know, might not be your number one choice of what you want to do during the summer, so, you know, take an English survey course. So my goal was to make the class as fun as possible while still meeting the objectives. And yeah, this is a summer course, and we were also just coming off of the 2019-2020 academic year where we were mostly online all the time, and I think people were a little burnt out. And so I just wanted to do an assignment that would spread joy. And so that's how I came up with this idea that they would do this podcast where they talk about why we should value fantasy and in a really sort of laudatory kind of way. And I helped them scaffold up to this by researching, you know, what people already thought about fantasy, how they defined it, and how that definition pointed to different different notions of value, you know, be it, you know, this is beautiful art, this is, you know, socially good, this helps us learn and think in different ways, so that they could have these these arguments that that was kind of rooted in some of the research that they did, but also in some of their own life experience that they also got to talk about in the podcast. That's great. I'm, I'm glad that you went into talking a little bit about where your idea came from, since that's one of the things that I'm curious about. People might find it helpful to figure out just how do you develop these ideas. What about you, Wendy? Like, where did hidden figures come from? Well, there's, there's sort of two avenues. One was that I was doing a modernist class. I, like I said, I wanted to go beyond the typical canon. I mean, had I had I known the semester would be half online and half not, I might not have chosen transnational modernist poetry. Doesn't it, unlike Jill's class, which was filled with joy, and I want to take it and think about the laudatory aspects of fantasy because I am totally on board with that. Forcing students to read, you know, like um, T.S. Eliot. And Gertrude Stein and uh, Mina Loy was not always joyful for them. And uh, so, no, I wanted to go beyond those canonical figures and introduce different aspects of of geography and different people of colour and and, uh, intersectional identities or queer folk. And after doing a lot of 
thinking about it, I, this class was at the beginning going to fail because I can't represent the goal, globe and I can't represent everybody I want to. And so like Jill, I wanted to call on their interests to say, what do you care about? What is the intersectional identity that you matter? I had a lot of international students in the class, so they got to research if they wanted to their roots. And then the other part was, this isn't all my great idea. It's rooted in um, something called the impossible, the possibly impossible research project, which is an iteration of, of from Britain fellows of years past. So this idea has been handed down. I got it from Lizzie LaRue, who got it from Alex Edwards, who got it from another Britain fellow called Jill. Um, Molly, I think you might be able to tell me what her second name is. Anyway, it was the idea that maybe you can't complete the research project, but the process and the excitement of trying is part of it. Now, I scaled it back a lot and made it so that the idea was that find the people who have not been given a voice and give them a voice. So a combination of their students' interest and student voices, but also those poets who never get heard in a typical class. Um, so it was a combination of lots of people and great minds. So I was just the facilitator of it, really. I mean, I think you're selling yourself short, but <laughs> I'm British. You a... have to be humble. <laughs> That's a good point. I apologize. I apologize. That was it. That was insensitive. <laughs> I mean, come on. All of teaching is like borrowing from the best. Mm-hmm. I was so fascinated in looking at your assignment sheet, at looking at the materials you prepared for your assignment. Like, I love the fact that you talk to them about making modernism new. Like, I loved that reclaiming of a modernist mantra to talk Mm -hmm. about approaching modernism. So just given that you were having students explicitly think about this sort of metapedagogical thing of this class can't cover everything, and also like, research can fail and that's okay. I'm just curious, how did students react to that? What were their responses? I think that's a challenging concept for students, especially students at tech. We're so used to, I don't like the word expert and I'm very much a a teacher in the classroom that feels uh, not too much compunction about claiming expertise. I like to say, look, I know some things and that let's learn together. And I know that sounds all very hippie and like, let's all have a group hug or whatever from a socially distant, respectful manner. But I like to confess that we can't know everything. And the literary canon has been chosen by people in power. Part of this idea is that who gets to speak, who gets to say what's the canon, who gets to say where it's, it's good. So part of the whole ethos of the class was let's question that sort of from an explicitly feminist and critical race standpoint like where are the people that look like you or look like me or look like who you would like to see and then the other part you said like how did they feel about failure it's it's not an option generally and I did a class previously about student resilience and the failure mindset which is you're really a scientific mindset. You have to fail to do better. Um, I think we all struggle with perfectionism. And so the fact that I ask students to articulate and narrate their failures or stops or like where they had to drop their research and take a different view meant that they were 
rewarded for effort and process as well as end product. And I value that. And I want them to enjoy the process of things and they enjoy the idea of learning and research, not just this thing I'll get an ear for. I do have to say one thing that has stood out to me so far about Georgia Tech students, and I think is not the stereotype of them, is that I feel like if you emphasize that sort of centrality of failure to the scientific method, they become a bit less (laughs) great obsessed. Like they still want that A and you need to make clear to them you are going to be rewarded for the process. But I don't know. I've had more luck with that sort of approach here than I've had in other institutions. Yeah, they, yeah, I found the same thing. They, I find that students at tech really like to think about writing as engineering. And part of that is like iterating and improving and like mm-hmm. responding to failure. So yeah, that's, that's been a really helpful thing in terms of teaching process. Yeah. And I sometimes present it as like a hack too. Um, there's like, you know, these simple steps to learn how to write and you sort of present it in Ooh. that language they find. I like that. Very helpful. Six. Six things your next English professor doesn't I mean, want you to know. <laughs> I feel really gross. I feel really gross about it. But it doesn't. Oh no no no! <laughs> By all means, <laughs> you're considering your audience. That's right. My rhetorical situation. Yeah. Yeah. My immediate response was not "that's gross." It's like, oh, how can I use that? <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. But I was going to say you brought up joy, which Jill, you said was central to your idea of what this assignment would be, what this course about fantasy would be. Did you see that joy in your students' responses? I did. I was was pleasantly very impressed by a lot of my students' work. I it was, you know, a summer course, so I didn't get to do as many scaffolding assignments as I would have liked to. So I didn't really get to proof their scripts before they did them. So listening to them I did see a lot of that joy that I was hoping to see. And but in, in more than that, they did a really good job of communicating that joy in a critical way. Like, yes, this is fun. This is entertainment. This is fantastic. But I, I was also really impressed by that critical turn that they were able to do to say, like, this is why it's good. This is why, you know, even though fantasy might be the kind of thing that is really mockable. I feel like a lot of times we don't talk about like our favorite fandoms because we don't want to be made fun of them. I mean, we don't want to be made fun for them. They were really able to talk about, you know, here's why this thing is good and here's why you should like it too, which I was, I was so happy about. Yeah. And I have to say, as someone who has listened to some, if not all of the episodes of the Fantasy Forum, it definitely brought me joy. <laughs> uh, like when we were listening to that episode on Spirited Away the other day <laughs> in the car, mm-hmm. I was like, this is amazing. I love this. I would just listen to this for fun. That's great. Yeah. And, and you know, that was some of my hope. In doing these sort of public facing assignments, I'm hoping that students can really see what communication can do. And you know, one of the things that I, I kind of think about is, you know, students go home for Thanksgiving break or, or spring break and their parents ask them, you know, what did you do in your English class? Like, they're not going to pull out a, a five paragraph essay and show them that, uh, but they might play their podcast for them and they might spread that joy even more and sort of 
talk about, oh, here's what I learned in this class. And here's why I learned that humanities are actually really important to everyday life. So that's that's also a part of my hope. So can I ask about the public component of these projects? I think it's 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 really cool that often, I don't know, like like to share a student podcast, there is like an MP3 to send around. There's just a link to the public spot where this, these podcasts are. Uh, Wendy, your students' projects are just out on the web. Can you talk a little bit about, about the sort of public component of them and sort of if you got any pushback from students about that aspect of it and how you handled that? I can go ahead. I told my students on day one of the class that this is what we were going to do. I told them that you know, if they had any major concerns about it, they could come and speak with me on a one-on-one basis. And I, have, I taught two sections this summer. I didn't have any student have any of those major concerns. And then I also make them do a consent form, a consent and release form. So they both them and their participants, their interviewees have to sign this consent form. And then the consent form is also one of those sort of scaffolded assignments that works up to the podcast. And you know, we talk about it as a technical document. And so it, it's also sort of rolled into the, the writing component of the course. Could you say a little bit more about that? Like what went into this consent form as a technical document? What were you emphasizing? So I uh, had them do some readings from some professional podcasters. And also there are apparently um, lawyers who who uh, specialize in podcasting. And they have, so I sent them some blog links to those lawyers' sites. We looked at what generally goes into a consent and a release form. We looked at Georgia Tech examples of consent and release forms because there are a lot of those just are just available online. You know, Georgia Tech, if they want to use your photo or, or something like that, they might would send you that form. So we talked about the genre conventions. We talked about language use. We talked about formatting. And uh, we talked about also technology. So a lot of them learned how to use DocuSign, which is a really important tool that they will probably be using in industry because it's one of the major signature tools in industry right now. That is fascinating. I, I didn't even know I had known about the about the consent forms as a part of your assignment, but just the detail of it and the public nature of that goes beyond the publication. Interesting. What about you, Wendy? How did your students feel about their work being public facing? Well, I don't know if it's a thing particular to judge a tech students because I haven't done such public facing work at my previous institutions, but they're really galvanized by it. I think for them, it feels like real stakes, real world communication. And so they, they're really excited on the most part about the public facing nature of the work. It feels more real or, or something. Like Jill said, it's like, I liked what she said, you're not going to show or an essay when you get home, but I might show you this shiny thing that I made. That said, I don't force them to showcase it publicly. So I, I feel super strongly about student privacy, partly because I would hate to do this. Like you, Eric, you know, have twisted my arm about this whole podcast malarkey, as you know. So I'm, I was much more shy. So what I said is let's construct an imagined public audience and then you get to opt in and out. So I say, I would like to intend that we be public. This is the kind of thing we talk about it, not as much detail as Jill, but we have consent forms and we talk about the possibilities of what that allows us and what doesn't. But if they're 
unhappy with it or they really don't feel like it reflects their best work, then I don't force it online. The the examples that you've picked is they put it online themselves. They chose it to be a website. I told them they could put it so that people can't find it, but they were proud of what they did. And that's what I, part of that joy, the thing that I'm pleased for is I'm always kind of impressed by the students that I work with. I'm always proud of them, but when they get to be proud of the work that they did, proud of their process and the progression that they've witnessed from the beginning to the end and the final project, and they want it to be in the world and they want to show it to their mom and dad. And they, they say, you know, like, yes, you have my permission to talk about it in the podcast or you get my permission to talk about it at a conference. It has a different, it hits them different then. And I'm extra proud of them for being proud of themselves. It's, again, I'm all a bit touchy-feely. So. Well, that's not very British. But... It isn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> America must have affected me somehow. It's because, actually, speaking of joy, that's what I work on. That's my dissertations on joy. It's got me all soft. Yeah. So that that's it. I give them the opt-in and opt-out option repeatedly so that they can rethink it. And then these students, and for the most part, nearly all of them said, I'm proud of what we created. I'd like it to be public facing. That's amazing. And sorry that this somehow became <laughs> a study of how British you are. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> We're always looking to start more, sure. <laughs> probably more alcohol i think that'd be much more fun yeah any other questions at this point do either of you have questions for each other i did did you jill i've got two questions for you did you do this as a group assignment were these podcasts created as a group how did that go and did your groups get to hear one another so part of the public is the internal public of the classroom and students don't always get to see what each other's done or celebrate one another. So did you do a showcase or did you send all the links around or did you ask them to look at one another as part of a project, like part of an assignment or something? So the first one, I told them that they could do them in teams of two if they wanted to, but they didn't have to do them in a group because we had already done a group assignment earlier in the, in the semester. So it was totally their choice if they wanted to do them in a group or not. And then for the second one, I... that's sort of it's listing on anchor and apple podcast and spotify like that is how i'm circulating them to everyone and so uh, because we try to treat this as much like a real podcast as possible and in a way that's why something i really liked about your project or not just even your project but your entire class is there's a possibility of failure here so we built this podcast together from the ground up what we decided on the title together we decided on the logo together and we sort of talked about, you know, the visual implications of what it is that we're selling or whatever it is that we're promising. And I made a couple of different logos and I, I showed them and one was like, this is too cool for us. Like we're not that cool. So we, we went with one that had like larger text and they talked about how that's a part of their genre is that the logo has large text. And so we did collaborate a lot on building the podcast and making it a very real podcast. And so I'm treating it like a real podcast. And I'm trying to release two episodes every week so that, you know, hopefully um, if the students wanted to see them, if they just subscribe, then they'll get them all um, as notifications on their phone. Oh, fantastic. I love that. 
and I would recommend it. We can include the link in the show notes if you like, Jill. And actually, you brought up this, like the open-ended nature of the podcast assignment. And that was something that I meant to ask you about, but forgot. I mean, it seems like in the fact that it was as collaborative as it was, in the fact that you were interacting with the students and making it, that's just really buying into this public humanities work and buying into this open-ended potential for failure. The assignment might not have gone well if you didn't get enough buy-in from students, given how integral they were to the creation of the thing, even just the name of it, the logo. What was that experience like for you? It was really great. I had an amazing time with my students this summer. And I think because I think that's one of the part one of the reasons why they were so open to having their episode be made public, because, you know, they really understood everything that they were stepping into. And not only that, but they were able to craft what this podcast is actually supposed to be about so that they knew that they would have a voice and perspective that was appropriate for the typical layout of one of our episodes. So yeah, I if anyone wants to to do this assignment, I would highly recommend it. It was so much fun, and the students were so talkative, had so many great points. A lot of them, you know, were people who listened to podcasts, and so I mean, one of the things that um, we sort of were talking about names, and I had suggested a couple, and they suggested a couple, but we kind of landed on Fantasy Forum, and they're like, no, 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 it has to be the Fantasy Forum because all podcasts have the in front of it. Ours does. Feeling very called out right now. Yeah, yeah. We are the office hour. <laughs> Do we want to are rethink that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you're sticking to the genre, so. <laughs> All right. If there are not any further questions at this point, we'll go ahead and just thank you both for bringing your expertise, bringing your experiences and sharing them with us and these amazing assignments and these amazing examples of student work. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. These were so cool to look at and listen to. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you guys. And it's so nice to, to hear Wendy about Wendy's assignments too. So thanks for introducing us. You are very welcome. So as always, teaching is amazing. And this was a really joyful experience of teaching. Thank you. I am reinvigorated and excited for figuring out just what my student wants to do with Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next I'll, I'll time take, to see. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take note of that, and in a month I'll be like, okay, this is what we did. <laughs> I, I'll text have you forgotten. about Discord later, Eric. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Episode right. two, did Eric learn Discord? <laughs> you said you wanted to make that episode about Discord. Now we have it. Okay, excellent. All right, bye everyone. Bye. Bye. bye.